Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey in the Word Devotionals. My name is Craig Hamlin, and I'm glad that you've chosen to join with us today. We're going to be doing a five-part series in this devotional uh, podcast over the next five weeks on how to overcome discouragement. So I hope and pray that you'll tell your friends, tell your colleagues, follow this on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you get uh, your podcast. Um, make sure that people are learning about this. This is one of those topics that, uh, that people really, really need to know about because God has given us moments in our life where he allows us to go through some discouragement, but God wants to encourage us and surround us with people who will encourage us because oftentimes the, the point of discouragement is not exactly legitimate. It's not everything that God, how God wants you to live. And it could be something internal. It could be something external. But I want you to know, and I want you to hear this, hear this at the very beginning of this study, that God has given you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God can take any time of discouragement that you might be feeling and turn it into something even better and more glorious than you ever thought possible. And in that, will be able to encourage others, no matter what you might be currently going through. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote some years ago that if Satan's arsenal of weapons were restricted to a single one, it would be discouragement. There's an old parable about a devil, about the devil who is who's selling some tools at a yard sale. He was selling hatred and malice, envy, jealousy, and pride. All of them were worn, but still very expensive. However, there was one tool set aside and not for sale, discouragement. When questioned, the devil said, It's more powerful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring down my victims with any of the rest of these tools, I use discouragement. You know, discouragement plagues people everywhere. You don't have to be poor in a time of trouble to feel discouraged. People all around you might be discouraged, and you would never even know it. They hide it well under fake smiles. They may, they may really even talk a good game and feel like they, they, uh, they, they cannot be real. But inside, they're hurting. Joe Bailey wrote a poem that describes this well called Psalm from the Hotel Room. He said, I'm alone, Lord, a thousand miles from home. There's no one who knows my name except the clerk, and he spelled it wrong. No one to eat dinner with, laugh at my jokes, listen to my gripes, be happy with me about what happened today, and say that's great. No one cares. There's just this lousy bed and slush in the streets outside between two buildings. I feel sorry for myself, and I have plenty of reason too. Maybe I ought to say, I'm on top of it. Praise the Lord, things are great. But they are not. Tonight, it's all gray slush. You know, unfortunately, too many people understand what it means to only be able to see the gray slush, to only be able to see the negative, to only be able to see those moments of discouragement. You know, when a person is discouraged, it's often, it often feels like gray slush. It often feels like nothing is going right or ever will go right. How can a person overcome this thing called discouragement? I think one of the best examples in the Bible of a person and a group of people who face discouragement is Nehemiah 
and the people of Israel. Now, during this study over the next five weeks, we're going to be going through chapter 4. But let me give you the context of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's time is coming after the kings, after King Saul and King David and King Solomon and then his children, because the kingdom is divided and a divided kingdom cannot, you're right, cannot stand. It was already prophesied that this was going to happen, but other nations were beginning to come in and to invade Israel. And, and, the, the, and a kingdom had come in and totally destroyed the walls around Jerusalem and the temple itself, and, uh, and it brought all of these people into exile. And this is the kingdom of Babylon. And so one of those exiles um, was, King, was, uh, was uh, Nehemiah. And, um, and Nehemiah was a Jewish man from Jerusalem. And he got word uh, as he was uh, in the king's court helping them as a servant that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and that there were still a remnant there who was trying to rebuild it, but there was so much opposition. This broke Nehemiah's heart. He began to weep and he began to fast and pray. And I can tell you guys this, when you get discouraging news, the best thing to do is not to get into a pity party, not to drown yourself in, in those kind of tears, but to, but to cry, yes, but to also begin to pray, begin to fast, Begin to ask God, God, what are you going to do in this situation? These are your people. I am your child. God, what are we going to do to work through the pain that I'm feeling or the pain my family is feeling or what our church is going through? God, what are you going to do? And so Nehemiah begins to pray. He begins to call on the Lord because he knows that he's got to talk to, his, to, his, to the king, and he's got to make sure that he can get away, get the time off and get the supplies and everything else that is needed in order to get him uh, to back to Jerusalem and be able to help with the wall. And so that's exactly what he does. And guess what, guys? He finds favor in the sight of the Lord. And so if you, as you look at chapter 2 and chapter 3, he, he goes back to Jerusalem and he finds it just as they have said. The walls are down, the gates have been burned, all of those things. And so he begins to take the materials that he has been given and he starts rebuilding the walls. And he goes through and names all of the various people that are helping him. And for a moment there, it is, it is incredible in that situation. But then as we enter into chapter 4, we, we begin to understand why uh, the situation was so difficult, why it was so hard. Listen to what the Word of God says in chapter 4. Now, when Samballot heard that, uh, that, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Tobiah and Samballot were two men who were just wreaking havoc on the mental, emotional state of the people who were working. And they were negative. Um, they, uh, they were throwing out insults. They were gathering others to do the same. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of opposition or been discouraged by somebody who is just constantly negative around you, constantly talking about how bad everything is and how bad everybody is. And this is what uh, Sam Ballad is doing. And he's basically making fun of what the Jews are trying to do in rebuilding the wall. 
And so he says, And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up to it to break the walls down, it will fall. I mean, man, when you've got those kind of, of friends, and they weren't, you don't need any kind of enemies, do you? Tobiah and Sambalat were the typical naysayers when God has given you a dream, when God has given you um, a vision to go forward or to make this move on faith, to make this leap of faith, you're always going to have people who are going to try to discourage you. And the greatest discourager that you have is, yes, Satan, our enemy. So how do you defeat him? How did Nehemiah make it through this very difficult stretch in order to get the word, the work done? Well, the first thing I want to mention to you today, and then we'll get to the other ones next time, is you've got to bring God in on the situation. If you'll notice in verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah responds to their persecution and their complaints. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. I love what Nehemiah did there. Or maybe I should say what Nehemiah did not do. Nehemiah didn't hear their accusations and hear and experience his persecution and lash out at Tobiah and Sambalat. He does the one thing that every follower of Jesus must do in the midst of discouragement and in the midst of opposition or personal attacks or whatever it may be. They go to God in prayer. Nehemiah does not pray this prayer from a heart of revenge or anger. He had already brought God into the situation. You remember back in chapter 1, Nehemiah prayed with fasting and a broken heart. Nehemiah prays knowing that he's in a spiritual battle against a real enemy. Prayer is the greatest weapon we have against spiritual attacks. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You know, when we pray, bringing God in on the situation, he takes control of our emotions. Rather than being vengeful, we confront the situation realistically in prayer and leave the judgment to God. Rather than being cowardice, we gain courage through the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Rather than crawling up in a shell, we put on the whole armor of God that not only will protect us as we face the enemy, but it gives us a weapon, the Word of God, to bring the enemy to his knees. Rather than responding to the, to the heat of adversity with bitter words, we respond with all Christ has given to us in order for us to be victorious. You see, the real task of the believer is to fight against these spiritual forces of darkness with love, with truth, and kindness in every situation. 
not letting any corrupt word proceed from our mouth, but only such as is good for building people up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, that we're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. You know, Paul also tells us in Romans chapter 12 that if somebody does uh, bad to us, not to seek revenge, but to do good to those so that we heap coals upon their head. You know, when we bring God into a situation, he shows us how to respond. He quiets our spirit if we are ready to burst out in anger. He charges us with courage when we need to speak out in truth and in love. And he gives us just the right mix of salt and truth and light, I should say, in the midst of all of it. He knows if we need to be gentle and he knows if we need to be firm. He knows when our tone needs to be subtle and when it needs to be um, not as harsh. And he knows when our tone needs to come across with a very seriousness about it. Bringing God in on a situation when you're discouraged gives you the right perspective, puts you in the right emotional state, and allows you to be able to see the situation around you through His eyes rather than your own feeble and limited perspective. Hey guys, tomorrow we're going to look at the second way to overcome discouragement. I hope that you'll be a part of this podcast or the next time that we air it. And I pray that that God would just bless you and he would strengthen you in every single way possible. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic day. For more resources, go to journeyintheword.com. Also, check us out on Spotify, iCloud, iTunes, Apple iTunes podcast, and, and also on Facebook with Journey in the Word. Share this podcast with some other people, and let's make sure that others can journey in the Word along with us. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic rest of the day.